Today we're hearing from Alex Vidal. In the real estate industry since the age of 19, he's learned persistence and consistency, therapy, finding the right person. He's exploded real estate in the Florida Keys and launched the Closure Club, which is an online interview series. Today, Naked Podcaster on with Alex Vidal, like the hair, like, you know, Vidal Sassoon. That's it. Tell us all about who you are and what your business is and what you do in your podcast, because I love podcasts, clearly. Sure. Well, well, we'll make it, we'll sum it up quick and then we can always go back and dig deep. Um, so I'm 41. I got into real estate when I was 19. Um, and the reason I got into real estate really was only a function of, I fell into it. Uh, I get asked a lot like, Oh, was, you know, was that something you always wanted to do? No, absolutely not. Um, what happened was, is I have actually I have a 22 year old son who's about to be 23. Um, and I had him at 19 and ultimately what happened was I was a camp counselor making, I don't know, 10 bucks an hour or whatever it was. And I needed a real job. And I essentially started farming out my resume to everybody and their mother. So if you could have been applying or there could have been an ad for like a CPA, you'd still get my resume. It didn't matter. Um, and I ultimately, and this is how I fell into real estate. I was, had the opportunity to go work for the assistant to the owner of the largest real estate company in Florida, a guy named Mike Pappas, who I'm actually still very close with today. And Mike um, hired me. Well, I had a choice. I'd go work for Mike as his secretary, literally, male secretary, 19, uh, or go sell advertising at the Miami Herald, uh, which is a job that my mom got me. And the only reason I took the real estate job was because it was a job that I got on my own versus a job that, you know, that my mom got for me. Um, and fast forward, you know, within like eight months time, I would always hear Mark, uh, Mike complaining like, yeah, we're, we're hiring 70 or 80 agents a month, but we're losing 70, 80 agents a month. Um, and I said, well, listen, you get this list of brand new agents getting into the business all the time. Why don't I start calling them? And he said, sure, you can call them, but you got to call them after hours. Um, and I did. And within eight months, I was actually promoted at, by this time I was like 20, to the recruiting director for one of the largest real estate companies in the country. And uh, that journey took me from Florida to California, where I then got separated from my son's mother. She moved back here, so I had to move back. Uh, did it then for one of the largest real estate companies here in Florida, uh, another one. Market crashes, I get recruited to Colorado. Um, that guy in Colorado then decides to open a company in Florida, moves me back to run that company. And so it's like one of those things that you just take chances and you take the risk and, and you go and God, I've gone cross country twice in my career. And um, long story short, I was asked to work on a job selling a developer project. So this developer built this big building. My friend who I had hired as a brand new agent like 10 years ago, took over the project and she asked me to work on the project because she needed somebody that she could trust. And I hated it, it was brutal. I wanted to put a bullet in my head because it was like, you know, the monotony of here's the same kitchen, the same view, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I actually met the owners of my company now. And um, so it's an interesting story. I'll share it with you. So the first week, there's, there's three guys, the two owners and the president of the company. Then since this is rated R, rated X, whatever it is, I'll, I'll, I'll try, I, could, I, could, I could share this story. So the, the first meeting I go in, I met with one of the owners. The second meeting I go in, I meet with the two owners. And then the third meeting, I meet with the two owners and the president of, of the parent company. And I remember taking the head of the table. I, did, I went in with a 15-page business plan on how I was going to turn the brokerage around. Uh, and I literally 
first words out of my mouth after saying hello, I go, guys, it's the third date. It's time to get laid. And I gave them my 15 page business plan. They started cracking up. Didn't matter what I said after that. I knew I had the job and they hired me and, you know, and here we are. So that's, that's it. That's, I can't imagine going into a job and making that statement and I get some offers, but it wouldn't be getting hired. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, 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 what's interesting about it. Cause I brought that story up to somebody the other day and I hadn't talked about it in a really long time. It's, it's funny. You really have to know your audience. Like, yeah. you know, you, you prep me for this. Hey, be yourself, curse. This is rated explicit. So do whatever the fuck you want, blah, blah, blah. That's right. cool. Um, so I wouldn't do that if it was, it, it, you just, it was a gamble. Yeah. But it was a gamble that I knew these guys well enough in my prior meetings that I could get away with it, and it and it worked beautifully. And uh, so you really got to know you got to have got to have the balls to do it, yeah. but you also have to know who's on the other side of that table. When you were nineteen, you were doing something out of desperation, but you took the job mm -hmm. and you ended up finding a niche for yourself that yes. you really loved that you've never. You, you're talking twenty two years now. 22 years and, and it went from, I mean, if you were to like take the positions that I went from specifically in real estate, it went from secretary to recruiting director here to recruiting director in California to recruiting director back here in Florida. Um, then I actually got tired of recruiting because I was only doing recruiting. That was it. And um, the brokerage that I was with opened an office like a block from my house. Like I could literally throw a rock and hit that off and then hit that office. So I said to them, this was 2004. Okay. I go to them. Make me, make me the manager of that office, big 10,000 square foot office. I'm like, you guys already know I can recruit. They're like, yeah, but you know, one thing is to recruit them. The other one is to manage them. You've never sold real estate, which was true. Mm -hmm. You know, so we can't make you the manager, but here, listen to the irony of this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make you the sales coach for the brand new agents getting into the business. So you kind of look at them like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, you're like, yeah, but they're brand new agents. They don't know any better. You just got to know what you're saying. Cool. And within a year, I was showing these agents how to make more money than me. And that's when this was, so this was 04 into 05. And that's when I said, the guy that I worked for went to Colorado. He was ultimately the one that moved me out there a few years later. Um, and that's when I got into sales. And I did sales all of 05, all of 06, all of 07, uh, and half of 08. And that's when, like, when the market was really, really down. Yeah. And that's when the guy that I worked for down here called me up and said, hey, why don't you come to Colorado? I started this franchise come create the recruiting division for me over here. So we went, what else, you know, there was nothing over here that the economy was in the toilet. And, um, and then I was out there for a year and when his non-compete was up, he brought me back. And then I went, you know, th then I ran a company firm for a few years, got back in the sales. And then I took over this company related ISG. Uh, it'll be six years in July. And at the time they were going to close it. I'll never forget it. This is, see, I love shows like this that I can curse. Yeah. So I start, um, so I was, I think I was like 35 or 36. I was 36. And in my very first meeting, they're like, listen, kid, we're going to, we're thinking of closing the company. Let's see what you got. And I said, okay. Uh, and I go, by the way, here are the things that I want. And they literally looked at me and I'll never forget it. One of the owners says, Alex, don't ask me for shit. Go out there, prove yourself. And I'll give you the world on a fucking bladder. Till then, don't ask me for anything. And I was like, cool. I, you know, I, and that actually helped me a lot because since they were thinking of closing it, they didn't pay any real attention to what we were doing. So I was able to like wild west free reign and, and run with the wolves. Um, but then, you know, at the end of 2014, they're like, all right, we'll give you one more year. And then, you know, here we are a company that sold, you know, close to $3 billion in sales and, and all that. That is outstanding. It's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah. You're, did you ever get your real estate license? Mm. 
Oh yeah, I got it back. Um, not not in California, not in Colorado, but I did get it because I wasn't out there long enough. Both times I was right. out there, I was out there for for a year. Um, I got it here pretty much as soon as I got back from California. I, so I guess I was like 21. I got it, but I didn't actually start using it until I was 25 for sales. Okay. And I've been, and of course, yeah, I've been licensed ever since. And I still do sales. I, I still do sales now. But it's, it, it's not like I'm, I'm, my brokerage now is close to 500 realtors. I mean, we're, we're one of the bigger players in the state. I'm not out there soliciting the business. I'm not out there competing against my agents. Uh, if I have a, my mom or my, you know, my sister, my brother, if they want to do something, I will. Uh, but I'm not out there actively looking for the business. That's awesome. So take me through, take me back. Well, wait, first, you have a podcast. I do. I do. So let's, the, the podcast is a great thing. That started, I just aired episode 100 this week, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah it's cool. It was, it was definitely an amazing episode. I, and, I, and I told the guy who's a friend of mine, I go, this wasn't what I had planned for episode 100. Episode 100 was supposed to be the big five influencers in my life. It was my dad, um, Mike Pappas, who's the guy I worked for here for many years. Uh, Rich Cosner, the guy I worked for in California. Uh, Roger Herman, who's a guy that I worked for both here and in Colorado, um, and my boss now. And it's cool because these are all people, aside from my dad, because he's my father, though I, I shouldn't take that for granted. You, you know, he's my, I, I just assume everybody has a great relationship with that. You know, I have my relationship with my dad, but I'm saying the other guys, you know, it's cool that 22 years in the business, I'm still friends with all of my bosses. Yeah. Um, and I was bringing them together for episode 100 and then coronavirus hit and, and here we go. Um, but I started the show. We are in South Florida. So I'm in, I'm in uh, Fort Lauderdale. So Fort Lauderdale, Miami. We are one of the densest uh, realtor populations in the country. There's like 60,000 realtors in Dayton, Broward County. And I said, if, if everything were the same, commission splits, brand name, managerial support, technology, et cetera, if all that was the same, don't you want to work for somebody who's got high energy that'll motivate you, that'll push you. And that also happens to be connected to some of the bigger players in the country or locally, actually the goal initially was just locally. Um, that's how I started the show. And I started interviewing the local heavyweights in, in South Florida. And there's plenty to choose from because Miami is a definitely a heavy, you know, real estate company or real estate area. And um, then there was an event. So I started in June uh, roughly, I think, I'm about 18. And then in October, there's an event, which is one of the largest real estate events in the country that attracts about 5,000 attendees. And I spoke to the PR agency for that company. And I said, listen, get me on stage. You guys always have the same speakers and they're great and they're very knowledgeable, but it's the same story every year, year in a year out. Kind of boring sometimes, whatever. Right. And I said, get me on stage. And the PR agency actually looked at me and said, it told me, they're like, Alex, we know you, we love you, we love your company, but the real deal, who's this company, they don't know you and they don't know your brokerage. And I said, even though I'm one of the bigger ones in the state, and I said, cool. I hung up the phone and my very first phone call was to Ryan Serhant from Million Dollar List in New York, uh, which was my first big national player. And ever since then, I've gone to LA six times, New York five times, uh, Vegas, Aspen, Dallas, Raleigh, um, and we just hit episode 100. And it's a blast, it's a lot of fun actually. A lot of fun. So you're in to get, you get, um, you do the real estate thing, but you do, you interview real estate players, but not just that, like celebrity entrepreneurs, athletes, politicians. Correct. 
So ultimately what happens is the, the beauty of it is that the, the view, my viewing audience primarily are realtors and I target any advertising, any boosting or whatever to the realtor audience. And the beauty of it is whether it's an athlete or it's, it could be an athlete who talks about handling high pressure situations. And so how does that relate to a realtor? Well, realtors find themselves in high pressure situations all the time, but there's a way to handle that high pressure. And you can learn that not only from other realtors, but from athletes. Politicians may be like, I have had the mayor of Miami on the show twice, and he could be talking about just what's happening in Miami overall from a political perspective, from an initiative perspective that will then from a, for a Miami realtor, it's good for them to know in the overall selling of, of Miami. Um, next week, actually I have a, if, if anybody's never read the book, uh, never split the difference, Okay. read it, read it. It's, it's phenomenal. It's a life changing book. Um, by a guy named Chris Voss, who's a former FBI negotiator, hostage negotiator. Um, okay. And um, so he's coming and, and I've shared that book with all of my agents. I've read it a couple of times. He's coming on the show next week to talk about negotiations. So there, there's a lot of parallels or common denominators, regardless of what industry you're in. And, well, I think uh, you can always make those connections, right? A hundred percent. So I might as well make it with people that I know and that I want to interview. It's my show. So I, I want to do it with people that I know. <laughs> You know, someone asked me once, why don't you do this on your show? And I'm like, cause it's my show and I don't want to, I like, right. I, I, it's mine. I can do what I want. That so that's awesome. Great. That's fantastic. Okay. okay. Now take us back into the struggles. I know you had a surprise baby at 19, but yeah. I don't know what your struggles are actually. We haven't talked about sure. that. Um, I, I would actually tell you that the struggle, you know, it's interesting. And I don't know if it was, if it was, um, now my kids are coming in the house yelling. They, That's they right. Me, um, the, the struggle really wasn't, I, I would say then, I was probably too naive to know that it was a struggle. It was kind of like, you just put your head down and you go. Yeah. Um, and, and quite frankly, that was 23 years ago. So I don't remember much of it because I think it was just, listen, I was working full time, going to school full time. I had a family full time and something had to give. Couldn't be my family. Um, and it couldn't be my job because I had to support my family. So I gave up school and I went to one year of college and, and that was it and never looked back and just college is not for me. I think the real struggle actually hit uh, when the market downturn hit in 2008. Um, and we moved to Colorado. We then, and, and then again in 2013, which it was never really, um, how can I say, 2013 was still remnants of what happened with 2008. Um, but really those were the, that 2008 to 2013 window were very difficult. My wife and I, we got separated twice. Um, the first time we never fixed our problems. The second time we fixed our problems so well that we can go through, through hell and back um, and be okay. It was actually funny because now when this whole coronavirus hit, we actually sat down and of, of everybody in our circle of influence, we were like the most calm. And because mm -hmm. we were like, listen, it can all blow up. And we'd be fine because we've been to hell and back. Like in 2013, literally, I'll never forget it. So I, at the end of 2018, I'm sorry, 2012, I got burnt out of real estate, completely burnt out. The broker I was working for burned me out. And I went into digital marketing with my buddy. And I was making between 15 and 20 grand a month and blowing 15 to 20 grand a month, actually more. And I was stupid enough to think the money would always come in and Come May 28th of 2013, I, I'm crazy with dates. My wife and I get separated the second time, right? Okay. July 17th, my best friend and I have a falling out. The, the guy that I worked for in digital marketing. I had $5,000 in the bank. 
my overhead was between thirteen and fifteen thousand dollars a month, um, and I lost my job overnight. And so what I did was I, I did the necessary hard decisions back then. I went out, you know, called my ex-wife. Sorry, I can't pay child support right now. Called my landlord. I got to break the lease. I moved into a condo that my parents owned. I made the hard decision, spent zero time in bed crying because there's just that doesn't move your ball forward. And from July 17, 2013 to the end of the year, I sold over $7 million worth of real estate, made over 200 grand, got smart with my money, and you know, did the right thing to now where if coronavirus implodes the world, we looked at it and we're like, okay, we're good. Like we can we can ride this out for a real long time. Not a real long time, but a fair amount of time. Right. Um, and, and so those times teach you that you have two choices in life. And, and one choice is you can sit back, get in bed, cry, you know, blame everything around you for what's happening and focus on all the things that, that you're not able to control. Or now, like even what we're going through right now with the coronavirus, you can do that. That's cool, though it's not going to do anything for you. Definitely not going to solve your situation. Or you can focus on the things that, are, that you are in control of, mm -hmm. put all of your effort on those things, um, focus on anything that moves the ball forward. And I'll share with you a, a kind of a cool analogy for that. Um, and that's it. And if you do that, you'll be able to get through the tough times because the rest is just noise. And, and if it doesn't move you, if it doesn't move your ball forward, your family's ball forward, or in my particular case, my, my, um, my employees, my brokerage, my agents ball forward, I don't pay attention to it. It's not worth it. It doesn't do anything. I think yeah. it's really difficult for people to turn the volume down on that noise though. Well, you know, that's a great point. And, and I think it's just like, like I do triathlons and I work out a lot and I do CrossFit and all that. And I think that working out physically is you need to put an equal amount of that into your mental workout. So I learned, I learned several months ago, I would tell you I learned a couple of years ago actually, but I really put it into practice since January. Um, was a guy named Sean Acor and he's got a great TED talk. And so if anybody ever wants to watch a great TED talk about happiness, Sean Acor uh, power it's happiness at work or something like that but you'll, you'll, yep. you'll find it. he's the funniest person i think i've ever listened to I, i'm trying that that 12 minute ted talk was hilarious I, I you have to like pause it and be like wait a minute wait a minute you, you gotta right. catch up it's awesome so yes okay keep going right. sorry so, I love so it. no no we're on the same wavelength so what i started doing was i started writing down every single night three to five things for which i'm grateful for minimum three to five things now some people do it in their phone some people think about it to me i think there's the power of a pen to the paper so I actually have a journal and it's on my nightstand and I, and I write down every single night, three to five things for which I'm grateful for. The key is this, on my bad days, and we all have bad days, I write down minimum 25 things for which I'm grateful for. Even the silliest thing, like I am so grateful for, you know, that they cut my grass today. It doesn't matter, right? Because what it does is it makes you realize that even on your bad days, you have a lot to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. um, and then I write a positive note to somebody every single day. I'll, you know, text somebody saying, Hey, I'm grateful for you, Jen. I'm grateful for that. We did this podcast today, whatever, whatever. And I do that every single, I do that every single night. So that kind of exercise, in addition to filtering what I allow in my, my eyes to see is a big one. And even the, even like my thoughts, my buddy came over the other day, social distancing. We were far apart. doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, we, did a, we did a triathlon, like a mini triathlon, whatever in our, in my, my area on our, on our own. And after we were done, we're hanging out in the yard and, and he goes, he goes, yeah, don't you think China should be held accountable for what's going on? Like, we got to do something about this. We got to hold them accountable. And I, what do you think about that? I'm like, dude, I haven't given it any thought. 
because it doesn't move my ball forward. It's like, it's not going to help me right now. So I, I can't worry about it. I yeah. agree. As somebody was going down the rabbit hole the other day and I'm like, you know, it's not that I don't understand. It's not that I don't keep my finger on the pulse is that I don't allow it to get past that. Cause you just went down a rabbit hole and I don't want to join you there. So I'm actually just not going to have this conversation. Misery loves company. It is crazy. Crazy. It is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, what do the kids think about this? I, I don't know what they think about COVID because I don't ask them. I just connect with my kids. I, like, right. I literally don't care what they think. I, I could show you. I'm going to turn like my kids right now are, are pop. I don't know if you can see, but yeah, they're, like, they're like in the hot tub, popping in and out, having yep. a blast. That's they're, what like, I wanted. they're doing well. They're doing great. So that gratitude exercise, writing three new things down every single day for 21 Correct. days is what Sean says. And it actually trains your brain to look for the positive. I think Correct. what people don't understand, I'm sure you'll agree is that, there's a lot of negative and a lot of stuff that we cannot control and your brain just stops training to look for that stuff. Correct. And so you just, it really shifts. It's like the lens through which your eyes look through. I think that's the way he put it. Mm -hmm. You just look at things differently. And when you're, when you're that gratitude, when you're in that deep state of gratitude every single day, you may look at this and say, Oh man, this bottle of water is, is virtually empty or somebody else will be like, man, I'm so happy I got a refrigerator. I can go and fill this up. You know, it's so, that's silly and that's not, you know, anything that- It's true at. though. But I it's, mean, an no. it's, it's an example of how silly it can be. Um, and we're looking at it now, like this is a great opportunity, uh, what we're going through to connect with your clients and, and make those calls that you otherwise would have never made. And so, I mean, it's just things like that. I think that in every situation that seems overwhelming or negative, and because we're recording this at the time, we're in, we've been a month in on COVID-19 yeah. now. Um, at the time we're recording this, the first thing I thought was like, I work online and I have for four years. I'm like, everybody join my party. This is awesome. <laughs> like, welcome. This is great. I've been alone. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it is ripe with opportunity. If you right. like, this is the time to learn a new skill. This is the time to, it's just so many opportunities, but you have yeah, to be yeah, that's, that, But that's, so that's an interesting thing, right? Because everybody's talking about, you know, this is the time to learn a new skill or if you're not improving or, or all that. Um, I, I, I agree and I don't disagree. Like I've never invested in the stock market in my life until this time period. And so I'm learning about the stock market, but that I'm not putting a fair amount of, of time into it during the day and so you can learn a new skill but don't forget that there there are times to be doing things and so yeah. i can only I, I mean i guess i could trade stocks after hours if i really wanted to but you can only trade stocks from nine nine thirty to four that's really that's that's the window you can go pre-market after market but really that's the window but if i'm calling customers like i can do it during the day i can't call customers at midnight but i can read last night at literally at eleven forty-five at night i was reading about how to get certified to do after hours trading on E-Trade. I was learning how the Dow Jones Industrial and, and the NASDAQ and all and the S&P 500, the, the, you know, the Dow's at 23,000 points. How is that number even, how does that number come up with? Like those kind of things. I'm not doing that at 4.55 on a Friday. I'm doing that right. later because I have better, I have higher and better uses of my time right now. So I'm all for everybody wanting to go and improve a skill and do all that. But know that if you're going to watch a YouTube video when you could be calling your customers, watch that YouTube video at night when you can't be calling your customers. So be, be careful on when you choose to improve that, learn that skill or improve on skill.
I have so many questions. One of them sure. is, since we're on the COVID-19 thing right now, yep. how you have a call, you told me earlier, you have a call celebrating one month of like basically the quarantine, the COVID life. Yeah, that's right. Tonight and celebrate it. How are you guys continuing to work optimally during a situation like this? Great question. So right now, luckily in South Florida, we're, and I think most of the country, but I can only speak for South Florida, we're considered, realtors are considered essential. And okay. so, and being considered essential, we're able to still operate, but we do have regulations. Like we can't be doing open houses with 10 people in the open house, but we can be showing properties. But now more than anything, a lot of realtors tend to be scared to qualify a customer before they put them in their car and show them property. Well, now realtors have the excuse that, hey, I can't show you that home unless you show me your pre-approval letter. How long, have, you know, you can actually blame coronavirus on going through that qualification process with them now. Um, you can be calling your customers and checking in on them and saying, it's crazy. You can literally be doing three things at once. And this is what I'm telling my agents to do. Call your customers and only ask and ask them how they're doing. And that's all you got to do. Because in asking them how they're doing, you're going to get their answer. I'm doing great. I'm doing shitty. I just lost my job. Oh, man, I just found out my girlfriend's pregnant. My wife is pregnant. Whatever. Right? And so you're, you're accomplishing the empathetic check-in or the empathetic piece of it, which is, hey, I'm just checking in to show you that I care. Okay? Now, the second piece of that, which I'm telling my agents to do, particularly the ones that don't exercise a lot, do it while you're walking. Um, and the other day, I, I actually called 50 of our agents, 48 to be exact, and I did it while I was walking. It ended up being I walked 6.23 miles. Uh, walking, it took me three hours. It's, it, it wasn't really for me in terms of exercise compared to what I normally do, but right. yeah, I got six miles of walking in, calling our agents. Um, but the, the, the secret lies in their answer, because if they tell you, hey, I'm having a baby, that's a life-changing event. If, if they're telling you they're getting married because they found out that that being with this person is, hey, I want to be with this person for the rest of my life because I could be quarantined with them. That's a life-changing event. <laughs> God forbid there was a death or, God, or, or you know, they lost their job. These are all life-changing events that in just asking them how they're doing, you will get the answer as to whether or not you need to engage them for your services. You know, and, that, and so we can continue showing property. You try to focus on, on the customers who have a motivation that's bigger than their fear. Mm -hmm. um, we're even telling our agents focus on vacant listings because if you can get a vacant listing, you can put it on the lockbox and let the realtor go with their buyer. You don't even have to be there to show it. Yeah. Um, and so we're still doing a lot of business. nowhere near what we were doing pre you know, pre coronavirus, but we're we're up there. We're definitely doing good. That is fantastic. The other thing is that you said you and your wife struggled a lot in 2008, got back together, but didn't really fix it. Did you kind of go through the motions? Did you? not realize that it didn't get fixed because then those things tend to fester and blow up again, which it did sure. in 2013. So then how did you fix that and get through it? And I'm asking you specifically this question because the people that are quarantined are looking at each other and being like, I don't know if I like you anymore. <laughs> well, I will tell you that it's like, I don't know, I hope your video. Yeah, you just broke up a little bit. Are you there? And for people in quarantine, what can they learn and, and all that? Yeah, so because you had a relationship that went through a lot. We did. You, we did. you said you didn't do it well the first time around. So can you jump into that? 
Sure, absolutely. So the, the, the best I can equate it to is having a coach. When you look at LeBron James, you look at Tom Brady, you look at you know, Tiger Woods, all these players, none of them, even though they're the best in their game, never do it alone. They either have a team around them or they have a coach. And it wasn't in 2008. 2008, we struggled financially. It was 2011 that, that we struggled as a marriage and we got separated. Um, and really, we, we got back together more because my twins were really young. And it was hard to do separately. And we got together more so because of the kids than we did because we solved our, our problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we did have a therapist and, and the therapist wanted me to get on antidepressants and, you know, and all that. And I said, no fucking way. Um, the only thing, piece of advice she gave me that was great was if you ever feel really stressed or anxious, drop down and do push-ups because you have a lot of stress and anxiety that in your shoulders and the push-ups release that. Um, I don't think I've ever been more jacked in my life. <laughs> um, and, and then finally, I just, I just remember it was, it was May 28th. Mm-hmm. We were in bed and my son was laying on the bed. And I remember looking at my wife and saying, man, look at our, look at him. He's so big. And she just starts crying. And I knew it. I knew right then and there. And I'm just like, and she's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I said, well, it's time we get separated. Let's try to figure it out. So, and ultimately we went, I called my best friend and my best friend said, like, you got to go see this guy, Jack. And Jack is like this overweight guy, older with a long beard. And I'll never forget walking in to see Jack for the very first time and saying like, this ain't gonna fucking work. There's just no way. Um, and, and Jack at that time was very sincere, very honest. He told us straight up, it's either gonna work or it's not. And I'll be the first one to tell you whether it's gonna work or not. Um, he goes, but I think what I need to do is I think, you know, one of you need to choose to see me individually. And I think one of you need to choose to see somebody in my practice individually. And we'll do that for a while. And then if we see that I can get, we can, you know, that's going to work, then we'll look at, you know, putting us back together with, with me. And that's what we did. We, we separated. We, she went to see Jack. I let her see Jack. Uh, even though my friend was pissed off because he was the one that had referred me to, to Jack. I saw the partner. And, you know, for about three or four months, that's what we did. And, and during that time, though, my wife and I, we would still date. Um, you know, we'd still go out to dinner on Friday nights. I'd still come over and help with the kids and all that. But really during that time, we tried to work on, on the three things. Um, and this is something that I try to teach all my agents or anybody really that I speak to. There, there are three intimacies that we have in our life. You have physical intimacy, you have emotional intimacy, and you have intellectual intimacy. And it, it's very rare that you're going to have all three striking at the same time. But if you don't have an emotional connection, an intellectual, if you don't have at least two of the three, at the same time, it's not going to work. And so really during that time is where we worked on our communication, um, where we worked on, hey, there's a life outside of just having kids and work. Um, And we worked on not the physical intimacy, you actually stopped that. But we worked on our emotional and our intellectual intimacy until we got back together and then, you know, then everything else happened. And so really we weren't, we didn't have an ego. We didn't look there and look at that and say, oh, we're not going to go get help. You know, there's no machismo and I want to go see a therapist. No, it was, if you want to make this work, we wanted to know at the end of the day that we gave it everything we could to try and make it work before either we decided to get back together or we called it quits. And that was, that was it. That's what we did. And that's how we got through it. That's awesome. And it's, was it's, 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 it was phenomenal. It's, it's, it's been, I'm telling you, her and I can go through hell and back. And we were just, we've had a lot of talks with this whole coronavirus and, all right, what happens if, if this happens? What yeah. happens if, hey, we're going to have to make big decisions. Whatever. And she's been, man, it's been phenomenal. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you on your No, own. you're supposed to interrupt me. It's your show here. 
I love that you guys separated and had separate therapists. So what was it like going back with Jack? And what what was your response when he said, I'll tell you if it's going to work or not? Because I just see you as like not being happy with that statement. No, actually, I I appreciate straight upness. That's not even the word. But but listen, tell me how it is. If, if I like it, great. If I don't like it, great. But at least I know where you stand. And, and that's something that I employ with my life. Like, I'll tell you the way it is. If you like it, great. If you don't, great. But you're going to know where I stand. There's none of this like, oh, you know, did he just tell me that to make me feel good? Or did he just tell me that to be an asshole? Or did he just tell me that to get what he wants? There, there's none of that. I'm going to tell you the way it is. Sometimes I'm harsh in the way I deliver it, even though I've gotten more polished with that. Um, but it's just there's no time for anything else, you know? So tell me the way it is. Don't worry about how I'm going to react. Just tell me and I'll figure out how I'm going to react to that. And with age, you get better at reacting to things and and all that too. That's true. That's true with parenting too. So you can, and also now, like in the midst of the coronavirus and this whole COVID thing that we're going through, a lot of therapists, therapists are considered essential service. And this won't air right in the middle of everything, but there, there are resources out there. You just have to want to. I loved your three pillars. I'm going to compare it to something totally random, but I remember I was getting work done on a house. And the contractor said, time, money, and quality, pick two. Huh. Like we it. can do it fast and, and great, but it's going to cost you a lot. You know, you know what right. I mean? Like you can only pick two, but I love that you have three pillars and you need at least two of them, but you should be working on all of them. You should always be working on all of them and, and they're all important. And, and, you know, the emotional intimacy piece now at least may be with just dealing with what's happening in the world. They could be with just dealing with, you know, the fact that we're at home for the most part, my wife's at work right now because she's a pediatrician, but, you know, dealing with just even the emotional stress of what she's going through and having yeah. to see patients and, Hey, I saw this patient who was sick. I don't know if, you know, if they have coronavirus or not, God forbid, I, I won't know, you know, and, and having to wear all the masks and, and all the, the, the emotional baggage that comes with that. Um, and then you have the intellectual piece, like, Hey, this, what's happening in the world right now is providing some amazing economic opportunities. Like I've never been involved in the stock market yeah. but when it got down to like 18,000, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I found myself in the stock market, you know? Um, and those are intellectual conversations about stocks and how about this stock or how about that stock. And, and, and the physical piece is good. is always, a, well, I'm a man, yeah. so it's quite I important mean, to any man. No, I, it's, yeah, I'm naked. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, well, it is important. I, I mean, I think about that. And here we are. Look at us giving relationship advice. If you're in a monogamous relationship, which I am, you're the only person giving that to me. So in my mind, like that is really, really, really important because right. I, I can have smart conversations and I love my best friend, but there's nothing physical there with anyone. Correct. And, and, and smart conversation. And that's important too. We find ourselves kind of, and it's actually probably more a byproduct of the show than anything else. It's like all of a sudden you find yourself having conversations with people that are worth a hundred million dollars or $200 million or I've had a couple billionaires on the show mm-hmm. and, and you find yourself, you're like, man, I need to be having these conversations more frequently, not just yeah. once a week for my show. And, and so then you start analyzing who are you surrounded with? And who are your friends? Um, are these people just my friends or are they my, are they my party friends? Right. Where I can go and have a drink at the bar with, but if I want to talk about, you know, investing in real estate or investing in the stock market, are these people really those types of 
people that are going to move the ball forward. And, and we discover that. And then also with the gratitude exercises, that whole statement, misery loves company. Yeah. What it also does is it really opens your eyes to who, who's negative around you and who's positive. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves not hanging out with as many people as we used to because they're just negative. You know, you just don't want to be around that. Yeah. And the second you do that, you, the second you make that shift, it becomes easy because there's, there's this attachment or this baggage onto like letting go of friends or unfriending somebody on social media. I don't give a shit if I get unfriended yeah. and I don't give a shit if I unfriend you. I blocked somebody right before this call that made such a rude comment. I was like, it doesn't even justify a response. Like I'm not even going to get sucked into this situation. I'm just going to block yeah. and move on because you don't have the time. And once you figure that out, it's a lot easier. I also think that and you and we have been talking about this, but once you're in a state of having more gratitude and a positive attitude, the other shit just it's just noise. It's That's right. it's so peripheral. Did you end up getting on the stage at that? Nope. You, you did it. I did not. And interestingly enough, I've had the uh, the both the owner of the PR agency on the show. I've had the the owner of the real deal on my show. Uh, but I have not been on stage now. I got I, but I did use the stage as um, to help me per se. So, for example, they didn't want to put me on stage. Cool, but I've always been wanting to get Grant Cardone on my show. This goes back to last year, and I had Grant Cardone's wife on. I had you know Jared Glenn, who's his number one guy on, but I couldn't get I couldn't get Grant on the show. And so I called Amir Karanji from the Real Deal, and I said, "Listen, I know I'm not going to get on. That's cool, but." you know, why don't you have Grant Cardone on the show? And he goes, well, I don't have a connection to Grant Cardone. I said, okay. I, I go, are you interested? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely interested. I said, okay, cool. I called Jared, Grant Cardone's guy. And I said, Jared, listen, I can get Grant in front of 5,000 realtors, which is his target audience, right? Mm -hmm. and he goes, okay, what do you want? I go, I want him on my show. And he goes, what do you mean? He hasn't been on your show yet? He goes, no. I go, no. He goes, I'll get him on your show, make it happen. So I got Grant on stage at The Real Deal to speak. Mm -hmm. And about two weeks later, Grant came on my show. I yeah. love it. And, and, and here's the reality of it. The reality of it is at this point, I, I, it would be an honor for me to still be able to go on stage. And who knows, it's every October. So we'll see if it happens in October. Um, but the reality is that I don't, and I hate to say this, but I don't need them anymore. Because now because of my own show and we're hitting... For me, at least, you know, I'm just a guy in Miami. We're getting, you know, 30, 35,000, 40,000 views and downloads of every episode. Um, I kind of don't need the real deal anymore. I'm controlling yeah. my own. I'm controlling my own narrative with with my show. It's interesting how those things twist, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Where they'll be calling you, and you're like, eh, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, listen, I would. I, I, my ego's not so big. Like, oh, you fucked me over, or you insulted mm -hmm. me by not having me on, so I'm not going to go on. That's bullshit. Mm -hmm. To me, that's bullshit. If they called me up and said, hey, do you want to speak? You know, we'll get you on stage. I'd, I'd be honored. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're a very reputable publication. But it went from me wanting to go and I'm going to do everything I can to get on it to saying, fuck it, if I get invited, cool. But if I don't get invited, it doesn't matter because I've created my own platform. Mm -hmm. I control my own narrative. I, I send out my own messages. I don't need them anymore. Yeah, I love that. Okay, I want to wrap up because you fell into this career 
that sure. you just you just jumped in, took it, and ran with it. You've managed all of these different people in different offices. Tell me some of the top couple things, advice you'd give, because you did say to me, it doesn't matter if you're a realtor or not. You're interviewing yeah. all these people. What are some of the top trends you see in people who are successful and positive or people who are saying, Alex, what, would you, what, what advice would yeah. you give me? Great. So a couple of things. So uh, I will tell you that persistency and consistency is key. Um, that's actually something that I've learned with my own show. Um, just the one comment I get is even with coronavirus, we're still every single week, I'm consistent. Every single week, there's an episode, right? Um, but really, the, the, there's three things I would boil it down to. Uh, I'm sorry, there's another one. And then I'll share with you the three. The other thing that most of these people realize is that anything that's happened in their life or has not happened in their life is 100% their fault. They're 100% responsible for everything that is happening or 100% responsible for everything that's not happening. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it really boils down to three things. And I actually, if I was in my office today, I would show you what I mean by this. But there are three things you need. You need inner motivation. Uh, there's a guy named Brad Lee who says it best. And Brad Lee's like, it doesn't matter who doesn't believe in you as long as you're not one of them. And so you really need to have that inner motivation to drive you and you need to have that inner motivation and that belief in yourself. The second thing you need is you need to make sure that you're in the right environment. That's, that's a key thing, you know, uh, being in the right environment with the right people surrounding you, or even if you're at home or if I'm in my office, be, it's an environment that I want to be in, that I look forward to being in, that I'm happy to be in. And then the third piece is the how. How are you going to accomplish whatever it is that you're going to accomplish? So if you can take responsibility, 100%, it's either you're, somebody sneezing in the background, um, take 100% responsibility if it's, and know it's your fault, good or bad, right? Be consistent in whatever you're doing. Put yourself in the right environment. Always lean into that inner motivation and belief in yourself. And having to get there, you'll be good. Someone was sneezing in the background. My microphone <laughs> picks up the next door neighbor flushing their toilet. Oh, <laughs> That's geez. a side note, people. Not quite, but almost. I have a good That's microphone. Awesome. Alex, That's thank awesome. you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. What great energy. That's, that's refreshing. Uh, well, thank you, Jen. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you taking time, especially on a good Friday, Friday afternoon. Thank you for having me on. It's a, tr it's a true pleasure. Thank you for joining today. It's been a pleasure. You can find me at momof18.com and on social media platforms as momof18. A huge thank you to NGBN TV for sponsoring this podcast episode.